This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a genuine pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who've tuned in to watch today, and especially if this is your first time to watch. We do have those who watch every time we're on the air. We have some of you to tell us, you call us, you write us to let us know that. Thank you for your interest in the preaching of the gospel. Now today on our telecast, we're going to be discussing this topic, only one, only one. I hope that you will stay tuned. Now today we continue to offer the free Bible Correspondence Course. I emphasize the course is free. We'd like for you to have it. And in order that you might know more about the Correspondence Course and that you might know how to receive it, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail. And it's free. To receive this course, Write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. One of the great prophets of the Old Testament is a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah is one of those prophets that we refer to as a major prophet. There are minor prophets in the Bible, and they are major and minor, not in, in their importance or less important, but because of the length of the book. And the book of Isaiah is a rather lengthy book of the Old Testament. And now I want to read from the 55th chapter of Isaiah. And I'll begin reading about the sixth verse. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it, it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The text that I have just read suggests to us there's only one way. Only one way, and that's God's way. 
I, I think that if we are sincere about our study of the Bible, that, that we would all agree that God's way is the right way. Now, there may be those who have differing ideas about what that way is, but I don't believe that we can deny the fact that His way is the best way. That's what Jeremiah tried to get across in Jeremiah chapter 6 in verse 16. Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths wherein is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest unto your souls. He was encouraging the people to walk in God's way, the best way, the only way for man. In Jeremiah chapter 10 and in verse 23, Jeremiah there said, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps, and the way of man is not in himself. In our society today, people have been trying for a number of years to direct their own paths. And the more we do that, the more confusion and the more uh, tension there is generated in our world. God's way is always best for man. Now, someone says, well, I don't see it that way. And Solomon in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the ends are of the ways of death. A lot of things that people think are right that may not be right, but it leads to death. It leads to a dead end in life. It leads to confusion. And so only one, God's way. You know, someone says that's awfully narrow to say there is only one. But friends, truth is narrow. Truth is narrow in every area of our life. You think in the realm of mathematics, truth is narrow. Two plus two equals four. I was taught that from the time I was in the first grade, that two plus two equals four. And it will never equal anything else. It will never equal three. It will never equal five. Two plus two only equals four. Four, it's narrow, but that's truth. It's absolute truth. And it matters not what part of the world to which you might go. It will still be the same in any other place throughout all the world. Two plus two will equal four. You think about the formula for water. I was taught when I was in school as a child that it was H2O, that that was the formula for water. And it cannot ever be H3O or H4O. It will always be H2O because, you see, truth is narrow. And you, you get out on the highway in your automobile, and there are signs that are posted along the way giving you the speed limit. In the state of Alabama, if you're on the interstate system, the speed limit is 70. 
And there may be different speed limits in other states throughout the United States and other parts of the world. But if you're in Alabama, the speed limit on the interstate is 70. And occasionally, if they may be working on the interstate at some point, it may, they may even have signs posted that lower the speed limit. Well, if someone says, I'm going to travel on the interstate in Alabama, and I'll drive as I want to drive. I do not have to pay any attention to the posted signs along the way. If I want to do 80 or 90 or 100 miles an hour, I'm going to do it. Well, you may do that, but there'll be someone to pull you over to the side of the road and explain to you that truth is narrow, that when you're traveling on a highway and the sign says it's 70 miles an hour, that doesn't mean you can do 85 or 90 or 100. And you may pay a very stiff fine for trying to break the law. You see, in life, truth is narrow. It's always been narrow. And when it comes to the salvation of our souls, and our understanding of the spiritual things of life, truth is also narrow. There's God's way, not man's way, but God's way. And God's way is a superior way. Listen to verse 8 and verse 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Someone says, well, this is what I think. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thinking is not your thinking. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And notice verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are so vastly superior to man's ways. God's thoughts are so vastly superior to man's ways. No man can know the mind of God. God is not a man that we would make God like a man. We might be able to uh, be uh, in our thinking superior to some other individual. You may have understanding of certain things that other people may not have. But let me tell you, there's someone else somewhere in the world that has more understanding of that same subject greater than have you. But God is not like that. God's thoughts and God's ways are greater in every respect than are man's. And God is truth. God is the source of all truth. In Romans, the third chapter, in verse 4, Paul said, Let God be true. Let God be true and every man a liar. There's such a thing as absolute truth. Someone says, I don't believe, Brother Lambert, that you can know what is right or what is wrong. I don't believe in a, such a thing as absolute truth. Well, you, is that true? Is it true that you do not know that we cannot know such a thing as absolute truth? Someone says, well, you can't be sure of anything. Well, let me ask you, are you sure about that? You see, by saying that you cannot be sure about anything, you have stated an absolute truth. And the absolute truth that you've stated 
is that you cannot be sure about anything. The fact is we can be sure because when we take the Bible in our hands and we read what God says, I know that that is truth. Notice verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God's word is powerful. And when God speaks, that's absolute truth. So only one, only one what? Friend, there's only one God not many gods. The idea that you have your God, I have my God, is not accurate. There is only one. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse number six, Paul wrote, there is one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. There is only one God. When Paul came into the city of Athens, he was moved because he saw the city given over to idolatry. And in verse 23, he said, As I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And so they had erected an altar that had a sign on it that said, To the unknown God. There were many gods in Athens. It is said that it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man because of their number. But in verse 24, he said, God that made the world all things therein, see, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. You're not going to house God in some building somewhere. They thought you could. Verse 25, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. God is the source of life. And so he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to give him anything. He has everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, Psalms 24, verse 1. Now verse 26 hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath appointed, uh, determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord. They should seek the Lord. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a, re a, a rewarder of all of them that diligently Seek him. This says that they must, they seek the Lord. They seek the Lord. If happily, they might feel after him and find him, though he be not very far from every one of us. Think about that. He's not very far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, we're also his offspring. It is in God that we live and move and have our very being. And Paul was preaching to a people in Athens 
that did not believe there was only one. There is only one. In Genesis 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created. And He is a God who is, inhabits eternity, Isaiah 57, verse 15. He is from everlasting to everlasting, Psalms chapter 90 and verse number 2. I'm aware of the fact that there are lots of people in our world that no longer believe that there is a God in heaven. But the fact remains, there is. There are people who claim that they believe there is only one God, and yet they're bowing down to other gods. You know, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, in the giving of the Ten Commandments, one of them was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And today men should not have any other God before them other than the only God. And somebody says, well, you know, I don't believe in God. And I'm aware there are those that do not believe in God. But friends, it's hard for an individual to look at the universe without believing in, in, in a, a, uh, something that caused the universe to exist. How, how could we see the heavens at night and the vastness of the heavens at night and think of all that is beyond that that we are not able to see with the naked eye, not even with a telescope? Can we see things that are out in the distance? But somebody created that. Hebrews 3 and 4 says, Every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. All things were created by God. Somebody says, well, there is no God. For a person to say that God does not exist, there, he would almost have to be a God himself. Because if there's somewhere he has never been, that may be where God is. And if there's something that individual does not know, that one thing he does not know may be that God exists. Believing in God is a matter of Faith. It's faith in God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So you see, to the man of faith, the unseen is not unreal. It's merely unseen. And we can believe in that which we're not able to see with the human eye. Someone says, well, I don't, I don't really think that's, that you can do that. Well, at this room where I'm sitting right now preparing this lesson and taping this lesson for television is filled with a number of things that I believe in, and yet I'm not able to see them. There's air all around my body right now. Where you are right now is, is air all around you, but you're not able to see it. There's gravity. Have you ever heard of gravity? I know you have. And were it not for the gravitational pull on my body right now, I would not be seated in this chair. Suppose God would have suspend the law of gravity for just a few minutes. Say for five minutes. Well, then we'd all be floating around up in the air and out in space because that's something else that we believe in we're not able to see. What about a thought? Have you ever seen one? Have you ever had a thought? Oh, you say, well, Brother Lambert, I've had a lots of thoughts, and I'm having thoughts right now. I'm having thoughts about what you're saying. Well, have you ever seen one? Well, you say, no. Well, there's something else you believe in you've never seen. 
Our faith in that which we cannot see is based on certain evidence. And our faith in a God that we've never seen is based upon evidence, number one, in nature. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. So when we look at nature, and when we look at the heavens above, it's like a big poster that says, God is, God is. But secondly, we are indebted to God's Word to tell us that there is a God. The Bible teaches that the one who created all things is God. If we did not have the Bible, we might see all of the order and all of the design there is around us, and we might reach the conclusion that there are hundreds of gods that made all of that happen. But it is only when we read the Bible that we come to understand there's only one, a God in whom we live, move, and have our being. Someone says, well, Brother Lambert, I'd like for you to tell me some of the reasons that you believe in God. One of the reasons that I believe in God is because of answered prayer. Answered prayer. I believe with all of my heart that when people pray, when God's people pray, something happens. Heaven gets into action and prayers are answered. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 12, Peter wrote, The eyes of the Lord over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. Jesus said, Ask and you shall receive. Matthew chapter 7 verse and verse 7. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 22, Jesus said, Whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. So I believe in answered prayer. I have seen prayers answered. And there's no other explanation for some of the things that I've seen other than that God intervened and answered the prayers. Now, when God answers prayer, he may do it in one of a number of ways. God may say yes because he sees that what you've asked is the best thing, and you've asked in accordance with his divine will. And then secondly, he may say no, because God knows that you may not be ready for that prayer to be answered as you ask, or you may not have asked according to his will. But a third way that God answers prayer is he may say, wait a while, I'm going to answer it, but not now, because you see, we're such an impatient people. And we think that we can snap our fingers and things happen immediately. But that's not the way that God operates. God is a patient God and a long-suffering God. And God may answer a prayer, not now, but he may answer it later. And so he may say, you've got to wait a while because you're not yet ready to receive the answer. I believe in God because I believe in answered prayer. I've seen prayers answered. I've seen them answered. I've seen people who were seriously ill and people gathered together and they prayed for that individual and that individual eventually got up off of their sick bed and they lived and became very active again. And the doctors had given up and there was no other explanation other than God helped that individual to become healthy again. I believe in answered prayer because I can see the design in the human body. 
I believe in, and I believe there is a God because I can see the design there is in the universe. And I believe in God because I hold in my hand the book that tells us God is. There's a statement in the book of Daniel, chapter 2 and verse 28, that simply says, there is a God in heaven. And there is a God in heaven who loves you, who loves you so much that he devised a plan whereby you might be saved from your sins and saved eternally. And one of the greatest needs, if not the greatest need of all humanity, is to come to the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ for saving from their sins. And Jesus Christ can do that today. He is our Savior. He's the only one that we have. And God sent His Son into this world for the purpose of saving it. Listen to John chapter 3 and verse 16. Our God is a God of love. He is not a God like a resident policeman, but God is a God of love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves you. He loved you so much that He was willing to give the royal gem of heaven to save you from your sins. And if we would render obedience to Christ because of our love for Him, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if we would yield to the terms of pardon that are outlined for us in the Bible, in the New Testament, He will save you. One of those is faith in Him. And then we're to repent of our sins and we're to confess that we believe. And as a penitent, confessing believer in Jesus Christ, we're to be baptized into Christ. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Have you ever done that? Why wouldn't you do it quickly? Let us help you. If you don't to have someone that can baptize you into Christ, let us try to find someone to assist you. I want in the closing moments to invite you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also right now, pick up the telephone. Call for the free Bible correspondence course. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. Being at Faulkner is like being a part of a big family. I feel safe here. It seems like I know everybody and even my professors know me by name. My faith in Christ has grown a lot since coming to Faulkner, especially working with this outstanding Bible department and seeing the general Christian lives of all the professors on campus. Faulkner University is a growing, academically strong institution where Christ is the center of everything we do. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, 
or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.